When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. LaFleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to LaFleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. There is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon, c'est You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this uh, Monday night, it is 10.01 p.m. Here I am, and we are live on Facebook. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Twitter. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of you commenting already which is kind of cool that you're there and you're already there in pretty big numbers. Pretty awesome. It was one year ago today that uh, the Montreal Canadiens relieved Mark Bergevin of his duties. One year ago today. And um, wow. Um, there's so much to talk about because I saw earlier today on uh, the Sick Podcast Twitter account that, you know, one of the things we wrote was, you know what? Uh, Bergevin was relieved of his duties one year ago, right? Give us one word. Give us one word of what the last year has been like. And we're going to get to some of those answers and we're going to get to them in just about a minute or two, actually, maybe even a little bit later on. But I can tell you that uh, Eric Engels of Sportsnet is our contributor pretty much every Monday night when the Montreal Canadiens don't play. And when they do play, well, we try and slot him in somewhere else because he's that good. The Sick Podcast brought to you in part by 8.6 Beer. Here you have it. These guys right over here. Intense by nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark. And, um, you know, uh, Team Canada, the men's national team at the World Cup, they had the intensity yesterday for probably about the first 30 minutes or so. But unfortunately, 
Uh, they didn't have much left after that because it looked like the uh, they gave everything they had in the first 30 minutes, and they just couldn't keep up with Croatia the way they were passing around the ball. So later on tonight, if all goes well, John Limniatis, former coach of the Montreal Impact, former player with the Montreal Impact, had, did represent Canada in the past. He's going to talk to us about his impressions of the Canadians men's national team, who unfortunately, very unfortunately, have lost their first two games at the World Cup and have since been eliminated. The second team to be eliminated after Qatar. I see Kennedy Carvalho's on the chat on YouTube, and he says, how about Portugal? Yeah, yeah, how about that Cristiano Ronaldo? Pretending like it's him that he scored when the replay clearly shows you that he did not get ahead on it. Or did he? All depends on which angle you're looking at. And I'm wondering if a few people are doing Photoshop, yes or no. But um, uh, all kidding aside, uh, Portugal, very, very good. A couple of games in, they won both. And they have a really, really good team. You know what? They've never won the World Cup. And uh, I'd be happy if they do. And you know what? I'd be happy if Argentina wins it. I'd be happy if England wins it. And, and Brazil is the team that I really like watching play the most. I enjoy Brazil a lot. I enjoy Spain a lot, too. But I have to tell you, Brazil is already at five stars, and the Italian national team is at four. And if Brazil wins again, they're going to go to six. So part of me doesn't want Brazil to win, but they do play the beautiful game beautifully. I really enjoy watching them. The Sick Podcast brought to you in part by The Cash. If the last time you went to Lacash was when the Habs won the Cup, it's time you go back to Lacash. The menu will surprise you. And I can tell you that I was at Lacash earlier today, Lacash de Carry, on uh, Rue de Jockeys. As a matter of fact, I was with my buddies Agnello and Sammy back at Master Control with Joey DiCaprio, Matt O'Han, who brings you the sick podcast every Friday night, same time, same place. And Chris from, um, you know, uh, Sports Cards La Tornade, Chris La Tornade in Vaudreuil Dorion. He was there as well. We had a really good time. Uh, Tony, I need a haircut. Tell me who your barber is. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if uh, James is being sarcastic on the uh, on the chat or not, but uh, I cut it myself this time around. You could probably see that because I went way too short on the sides, kept it a little bit longer. I wanted a little bit of a, like a mushroom style type of thing. And as you can see, uh, yeah. I got a little bit carried away. I don't know. Every now and then I just get in those moods where my hair is a little bit long and I say, you know what? I, I just, I'm going to cut my hair. And I do. And then my kids look at me and say, dad, you screwed it up. You need to go see the barber. And that's exactly what happens. Um, very disappointing claiming Ronaldo was trying to get credit for a goal. He didn't score. Do you watch soccer? If you do, you would recognize his iconic goal celebration. I didn't see it. Don't be a hater. This coming in from Kennedy. I'm not so sure if he's talking to me or somebody else, but anyway, it's okay, Kennedy. We're being half serious, but half joking at the same time. Uh, we do want Portugal to win Kennedy because we know if they don't, could you imagine if Portugal doesn't win and Argentina wins? Poor Kennedy's going to get sick. We wouldn't want that to happen. It's bad enough. One of them is why running away with the Ballon d'Ors. All kidding aside, they're the two best players ever. Let's enjoy them, all right? And let's enjoy the sick podcast. And it's brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group. And uh, Energy Transportation Group, of course, uh, these guys are absolutely fantastic. They're an asset-based 3PL provider offering outstanding service at incredible rates serving all of North America. Energy Transportation Group offers full-service logistics support 
from warehousing, customs brokerage, and transportation consulting. Energy Transportation Group has you covered. They're a great place to work, too, by the way. My boys there, Mike Cinquino and Sean Gerard. Uh, without further ado, uh, I think we have Eric. We do. Let's go to him right now. Eric, how are you? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you? Very, very good. Uh, while I was here in Montreal, based on what I saw on social media and uh, Instagram and Facebook, and uh, I don't know if you put it on Twitter. I think it was Instagram and Facebook. Okay, eh? you leave all the personal stuff for Instagram and Facebook. Is that what you do? Typically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was in Chicago. It was a great time. Really lovely uh, weather there. Great food. Good time. Yeah, good time. yeah. Yeah, and uh, it looked like you had real good company, and it looked like, yeah, you were eating really, really good food because I saw some of those pictures, and I said, looks like Eric is having a great time. So good for you, bud. I've been to Chicago before, albeit very unfortunately only once. I really enjoyed my stay there. I went for a soccer convention, as a matter of fact. I think it lasted about three days. I spent three days there, and uh, one of my favorite spots is in Chicago, and that's Italy. You can find one in New York, and you can find one in Los Angeles. And if, if I've heard correctly, I believe there's one in Toronto too. Very unfortunately, there's not one in Montreal anyway. Not even sure why I'm giving them a plug considering that they don't sponsor the podcast. But I think it's the one, second time you've done it. But I think maybe, it's the second time you plugged Italy. I really, think you should eh? open it yourself in Montreal. I, you you know what? the pioneer uh, that brings Italy to Montreal. Call I, Mario Batali and uh, yeah. Lydia Bastianich. And get yeah, going. I'm not going to lie to you. I like that place a lot. All right, okay. It was one year ago today that, uh, and I'll never forget it because it's funny. We were having an event with the sick podcast at La Casual Spore, the carry. And we were there and the Canadians were playing a Saturday night game in Pittsburgh. And we got word on the broadcast. Uh, we had heard it right before the game started, but we got word again on the broadcast that, um, you know, there was word, I think, at around game time or right before that Jeff Gordon was hired by the Montreal Canadiens. So we're wondering what's going on. And then we found out that Mark Bergevin was relieved of his duties. So one of the things I want to do tonight, and I touched on it earlier with Jean-Charles Lajoie at JC on TVA Sports, uh, is I want to talk about what Mark Bergevin left behind to the management group of Gordon and Hughes. Because as you know, Eric, Mark Bergevin said on more than one occasion, I'm not going to be here forever, but when I'm going to be gone, I want to leave the Montreal Canadiens in, in a good situation for whoever inherits the team, whoever takes over, that you know it's going to be a good situation. So I'd like to take a look at some of the good, some of the bad, some of the not-so-good, not-so-bad, and in the end, with you, see if we can agree as to whether or not Mark Bergevin left the Montreal Canadiens in a good situation, yes or no, or so-so. Good? Okay. Okay. So here's a graphic um, that um, my boy Mathieu Bedard came up with and the good people at TVA Sports earlier this evening. Stan Francais, but it's okay. I think everyone will understand. Mark Bergevin's good moves. Let's bring up that graphic. There you have it. L'héritage de Marc Bergevin. Les points positifs un an plus tard. La transaction pour acquérir Nick Suzuki. Le contrat à Nick Suzuki. La sélection de Cole Caulfield au repêchage. Jeune défense, Gouli Harris, Trouble Mayu. Le duo, Allen Montembeau. Oh, and by the way, 
Uh, we should add Jack Eye. That's not on the list. That uh, is a young defenseman there. Okay, so when the trade was done, Max Pacioretty for Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and a third or a, a, a draft pick. I think it was a third round, which ended up being Matthias Norlander. Correct me if I'm wrong, whether it was a second round or a third round. What did you think of the trade at the time, Eric? At the time, I thought the trade was a miracle. Honestly, Pacioretty was on the market for a very long time with a trade request into the Canadians. Um, it was a situation where Mark Bergman was dealing from a position of weakness, albeit with a, an established 30-goal scorer in the league and one do a contract within a year of being traded. It was a tough situation. Most GMs in that type of situation feel cornered. And as my buddy Elliot Friedman always likes to say, you know, when you're in that type of situation – you don't get thrown life preservers. You get thrown anchors by your your colleagues in the in the GM world. And I, I think I remember writing that, that that trade was made the day of the golf tournament. And um, I remember writing that day that uh, it part, was. Part of me, Eric, if I can, yeah. the night before the golf tournament. The night before the golf tournament. Yeah, it was. Made, I, feel like, it was I feel like it broke at eight thirty in the morning. No, if I, if I if I if I well if I can, Eric. Um, the uh well you, you 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 might be right there but if i can the golf tournament was uh, you know around nine o'clock on a monday morning correct yeah. and on a sunday late afternoon patcheretti was skating at pierrefonds quatre glass and uh i believe his wife or someone went over to whisper in his ear you know the deal is about to get done with vegas and so the deal was in the works, but by the time it actually became official, I think it was in the wee hours of the morning, but the deal was almost a fait accompli on the Sunday late afternoon, made official early Monday morning, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. But yeah, you know what? There was no way, Eric, that they were going to do that golf tournament and Max Pacioretty was going to be their captain at that golf tournament because Pacioretty was not going to be the captain that season. Mark Bergerman had decided it was going to be Shea Weber. And, I mean, uh, it was such an incredibly like awkward and weird situation, uh, especially with Patrick having his own golf tournament, I think like a month prior to that and how awkward that was. Uh, oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that. Um, remember when uh, Mark Bergerman showed up with uh, Jeff Molson? Yeah. I mean, they and, were invited, right? Like he yeah. was still a member of the team. You know. Well, well, what was even more awkward, if I can, Eric, were you – at that golf tournament? Yes, I was. I was there for sure. Yeah. Were you at the supper after? Thankfully, no. You were you are not there. You obviously heard about it, right? Um you're gonna have to refresh my memory. I'm well slowly coming. There's so much Tony, not to go on a whole side tangent here. Yeah. But when I think about the last three years of the Montreal yeah. Canadians and the things that happened, I, I mean, like it is hard to remember everything because so much was packed into it and it was so dramatic. And with the pandemic on top of it, it was, it was honestly a really stressful time as a reporter Yeah, uh, with I all that. You. Like it, it was really crazy. One thing after the next, and we, we could talk about that a bit later. It was funny because yeah. I, I was having dinner with Elliot last night. He was in town in Montreal. Oh, really? Damn. I would have liked to have seen him. We were talking about what's happening in Vancouver right now. And mm -hmm. I said to him, you know, I don't know what it is about the Canadian marketplace, and this is probably unique in hockey and Canadian markets, but when that snowball starts rolling downhill, it becomes like an avalanche. And you just yeah. it, it just seems like just when you think 
it can't get any more dramatic. Something else happens that adds that much more snow to that ball. And it's, it's, I lived it. You lived it. We all lived it in Montreal over the three years. And with the pandemic getting locked in and everything that happened with that, I was so burnt by the end of all of it that mm-hmm. when you asked me if I remember what happened at a supper at, at Max Pacioretty's golf tournament before he got traded. Yeah. It's a, it's a blur. I know there's something, but it's a blur for me because it was wow. just such an insane time. Eric, for those watching right now on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter Live, and by the way, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do so. It's absolutely free, and uh, you're you know it's it, it's great because you can turn your notifications on, and every time we go live, you'll be notified. Okay, it's pretty cool. But if if it, let, let me see if I can go through. We got some good stuff for all you watching tonight. Okay, because that golf tournament. If memory serves me well, so let's put things in context, right? Max Pacioretty was represented previously by, before his last agent was Pat Brisson. Uh, Pat Brisson. Uh, before Pat Brisson, he had another agent, which was his agent throughout his hockey in the United States. And um, uh, that was Matt Cater, I think. Uh, no, I don't think or it was Alex Matt Shaw. Cater. It was Alex Shaw. Okay. It was Alex Shaw, and he's with Alex Shaw. And We're going then, with that. I'm, I'm, I'm like having these memory problems. And we're going yeah, way back yeah. To so he goes, he goes from Alex Shaw. He goes to Pat Brisson, and you know when Mark Bergevin was the GM of the Canadians, there were several players that were represented by Pat Brisson, and and Dave De, uh, David Dearnay was one of them that it seems like the negotiation went pretty smoothly, okay? We all know that Marc Bergevin has a great relationship with Pat Brisson, right? They're like this. And um, Pacioretty switched to Pat Brisson, probably like others saying, you know what? He's got a real good relationship with the general manager. This could serve me well, and it could probably make negotiations a little bit easier and a little bit smoother. Well, that and because because he had that six-year, $4.5 million annual average salary that proved to be one of the best value contracts in the league, which is never what you you want being said about you as a player that's scoring over 30 goals a year and probably worth a lot more than that, but go ahead. His his agent told him to sign that deal, and I believe, I believe – it was following the concussion, and there was a lot of uncertainty too with Pacioretty. So I think yeah. everyone wanted to sign it. In it. There yeah, was there, was, there were there were sure. factors. So he goes to Pabrisson, but then at one point, uh, you know, not at one point at the draft. Now my at, memory is coming in. Yes, pretty good. He gets at, traded to the Los Angeles Kings. Yes, he gets traded to the Los Angeles Kings. He doesn't want to go to Los Angeles. Correct, Eric. But I think Pat Brisson was telling him to go, right? So Brisson kind of... Well, this deal, this deal, the trade to LA also was made with a contract offer on the table that Pacioretty didn't want to sign. Um, It was too rushed. Like like the deal was contingent on him signing that deal. Uh, So I think that was probably a factor in, in what happened there and why he ends up making a change in the end. He ends up making he felt a like they were trying to he felt like they were potentially trying to make him do something that wouldn't be in his best interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's probably wondering, hey, uh, is is yeah, okay, perfect. Let's let's leave it at that. Okay. And uh so uh he ends up changing agents and he ends up talking with Alan Walsh that weekend, right? He ends up talking with Alan, they hit it off, and boom, 
An agent change is made. He leaves Pat Brisson. He goes to Alan Walsh. Alan Walsh has a conversation with Pacioretty. Listen, what happened? Uh, you know, there's there's word that you requested a trade, this, that. Did you or didn't you? We still don't know the whole story, but it seems like at one point there was a discussion between Pacioretty and Bergevin, which got a little heated, and it went something like, you know what? You want out? You know, if you want out, tell me you want out. You want out? Yeah, okay, I, well, if you don't want me here, I'll trade me. I want out. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're... we're, yeah, we're that made- was the official version was that it, it, he, you know, he, I think he stuck to the idea that he had never made a formal trade request, but that a con- that a conversation had gone south and he had said, if you want to trade me, then trade me. Like, yeah, I, whatever it was... We're we're rehashing this history. It wasn't yes. it wasn't a good chapter for for either Mark Bergevin or Max Pacioretty. And go ahead, Tony. <laughs> Put it this way: if if you hear the story from Pacioretty's people, uh, you know what they'll tell you that Bergevin wanted to trade Pacioretty, and at one point he forced Pacioretty into saying, "Okay, you know what? If you don't want me, trade me." And if you hear it from Bergevin's people, the it's story the will be around. that. Uh, that uh, Pacioretty, you know, that uh, Pacioretty uh, went in and asked for a trade. Okay. Yeah. In November, so, I think of that season. Yeah. yeah. So um, by the way, in November of that season, I go on the radio and, uh, and I say, Max Pacioretty is going to get traded. And I don't know when he's going to get traded, but I tell you there will, you know what, there will not be a new contract. He will not be back. He will not be the captain of this team next year. And uh, when it's going to happen, I don't know. But I can tell you right now, he's not going to be the captain of the Montreal Canadiens come golf tournament. I had a great relationship with Pacioretty. He never talked to me again. He never digested the fact that I went on the radio and I said that Max Pacioretty was going to get traded. He wasn't really happy with me. Max is nothing personal. The information I was given were was that you were going to be traded and you were. And the information I was given is come golf tournament, there's going to be a new captain and it wasn't you. And then you were traded the day before the golf tournament. I mean, that's the way it went down anyway. Uh, it is what it is. It's, uh, it's too bad. Max is a good guy, but uh, he lets a lot of things get to him now. Um, so what prior, happened at the dinner? So correct. So prior <laughs> to that, at the, at the golf tournament, at his Remember, golf tournament. Yeah, at his golf okay. tournament. He had invited Bergevin. I believe he had invited Jeff Molson as well. I know there. I know Pacioretty has um you know, uh, we were hearing from the Pacioretty camp at the time that the Canadians had not got back to him and they were waiting for an answer and waiting for an answer and waiting for an answer. Pacioretty and Bergevin weren't weren't on great terms at the time. But everybody knew that if Bergevin doesn't show up, he's not going to look good, right? So Bergevin shows up to the golf tournament, gives Max Pacioretty a handshake for the cameras that looked extremely uncomfortable. You remember that handshake? It was very awkward. I was right there. Yeah. It was very awkward. Very awkward moment. But anyways, moving you past mean, that, yeah. what happened at dinner? You, you, no, <laughs> there. there's another story. Get there's us another, there, Tony. Come there's on. another story before the dinner. This is really – you remember when they're all lining up to take a picture and Jonathan Drouin goes behind Pacioretty and puts his shoulder into him type of thing because I, I – I, I, you don't remember that? Remember I that? It. I missed Yeah, that. I think there was a message that when Bergevin takes pictures, he, he brushes up next to you and he kind of imposes himself and stuff like that. 
<laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the exact conversation, but Paulo Presti of Presti Homes, who built Max Pacioretty's home while he was here in Montreal, is very, very close to Max Pacioretty. Right, he's he's the godfather to Pacioretty's kids. If uh, if I understand correctly, Pacioretty's the godfather to 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 Paulo's kids. That they're like this, okay? Uh, very good friends. Paulo Presti's a good man, and um, Paulo Presti, I believe, was sitting at the table with Jeff Molson, and I believe he was sitting at the table with Alan Walsh. Mark Bergevin was sitting at another table further from the stage. Paulo Presti delivers a speech that night and he delivers a speech that, you know, Max really wants to stay in Montreal and Max should be staying in Montreal and Max can't be traded. Look, I'm, I'm you know, I don't know word for word and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't at the supper. I got word right after it that, you know, something like this went down, but I was told that it was like, wow. Uh, did he just say what he said in front of Jeff Molson and in front of Mark Bergevin? And um, that was it. That's that's the way it went down. And uh, as much as, you know, Alan Walsh, Alan tried to, to get Pacioretty and, and Bergevin and Molson and everyone back on the same page to say, hey, you know, Max loves it in Montreal. I mean, let's let's work this out. But Mark Bergevin had made up his mind. He was moving on from Max Pacioretty, and there was going to be a new captain of the team, and it was going to be Shea Weber. You know, in the end, it it worked out really well for both teams. And I thought on the day that the trade was made, um, or at least officialized, which was about a half an hour before I wrote it up, um, I wrote that day that this is a trade that looks great right now for the Canadians and is only going to look better moving forward. And at the time, we thought Thomas Tatar was just to throw into the deal to make the money work. And what he had produced in his first two years in Montreal made that deal a slam dunk home run and one of the best ones that Mark Bergevin made while he was here. And on Max Pacioretty's end of it, you know, he was liberated going to Vegas. There was a weight that lifted off of him. It was such a difficult situation for him to be in uh, over his last year in Montreal. The pressure was too much. It would have been too much for anybody to handle. It was specifically hard for him to handle as someone who cared. You know, if Max Patrick was guilty of anything in Montreal, it was caring too much. Uh, he about did everything. He about, took it very personal. Very what personally. you had to say or what I had to say about what the fans had to say about what anybody had to say um, and, and how much he cared about producing on a nightly basis. I always respected Max for that. I always wished that he could have, you know, alleviated himself of that burden and just been a, a bit more free. But he got to Vegas and he was free. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if it I don't think it was the first year that he was there. But the second year he was there, he played the best hockey of his career. I mean, he was just he was unbelievable. And so that deal looked pretty good on both ends. It will never look as good for Vegas, especially in the aftermath with Pat with Patrick becoming a cap casualty and another injury weighing him down. And he's in Carolina now. Yeah. But what it looks like for Montreal with what Nick Suzuki has become. And even Mark Bergevin said, you know, they, they knew that Nick, he said on the day that deal was made, that Nick was the key to the deal. Um, yeah. But to see Nick, he never knew that Nick would become what he did in that playoff run in, in Guelph. Uh, and then coming up to the Canadians and going from fourth liner to second liner to mm-hmm. now what he is. Um, I think that is, you know, if it's not, 
the greatest legacy move of Mark Bergman in Montreal. And there's a couple of them, you know, mm-hmm. so whether it's Caden and Gooley or however you look at it. Yeah. You know, that, that trade looks really good the day that it was made and it, it looks that much better, right? Yeah. Now. The, the, the talk is that the guy that he wanted in the deal was Cody glass and that didn't go through. And he ends up getting Nick Suzuki, which he saw play in the playoffs with Owen sound and Trevor Timmons had good Intel on Nick Suzuki as well, because obviously he didn't draft him his draft year, but he's a player that he knew about because he watched them playing his junior hockey, especially in the Ontario hockey league. I mean, Trevor lives in, uh, in, uh, in, in Ottawa or close to it. Um, but so it looks, that's a, that's a great deal. Thomas Tatar, by the way, should be noted for three seasons played on a line with Phil Deneau and Brendan Gallagher. And from a Corsi perspective, I mean, one of, they were one of the seven or top seven or eight lines in hockey. Oh, even higher than that. At five Probably on five, they were one of, yeah. the, one, of yeah. the best, one of the best lines in hockey and specifically over the first two years. And, and Mark Bergman's deal for Philip Deneau is, is, in my mind, it's outside of the Jeff Petrie trade, It's it's got to be the best trade he made. I remember we were in uh, San Jose or Anaheim, I think, for trade deadline. That trade deadline, the Canadians had a miserable year. They were terrible. And he trades Weiss and Fleischman for Deneau. And um, and Romanov, he does, and he's exhausted at this point, right? Like he's just, he's been through the ringer. He's done all the interviews outside in Anaheim, and I mm-hmm. remember did a one-on-one with him for Sportsnet. He, you know, he he looked weathered. He had, I think, he had the, the goatee and the long beard going. And finally, uh, you know, this interview wraps up, and he looks at me. He goes, "You're gonna see. We got a real one. We got a real one with this kid who's coming. You'll see." And that trade. You know, Philip Deneau was unbelievable in Montreal. And obviously, yeah. if you look back on Mike, Mark Bergman's legacy and we're talking about the good and the bad, you know, how Phil Deneau ended up leaving Montreal is part of the worst. You know, like it's really part of the worst of what happened with yeah. Mark Bergman here from yeah. them going to Matthias Brunet and talking about what Deneau had turned down in a contract at a time where he was struggling to score and eating it from all sides, media, fans alike. Hold on a second. Uh, hold on a second. Who went to Matthias? Hold on a second. Who went to Matthias Brunet? Well, I don't know. I, I can't say with any certainty, but you know, there, there was there, a leak. There was a leak there, to Matthias Brunet. There were two sides uh, who had intimate details of whatever the negotiations were, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't Philip Deneau going to Matthias Brunet and telling him, "Hey, uh, by the way, we turned down a, a six-year offer from from the Canadians uh, in September at five million dollars." So there was a Brunet article, Matthias Brunet in La Presse newspaper. Throughout this time, the French media, in particular, they're really upset that Phil Deneau wasn't given a contract extension, right? And that his negotiations weren't going well because they were like, oh, my God, he's a gut she knew and you can't lose him and all that stuff. So all of a sudden there's an article in La Presse and Matthias Brunet says, hold on a second here. Uh, Phil Deneau was offered a six year deal at five million dollars a year and he turned it down. And then all of a sudden, you know. Uh, Dano got a lot of heat from everyone and from the fan base saying, how could you turn that down deal? That was a real good deal. Now, Dano's side didn't want to comment, but they denied the accuracy of that. I had Stefan Fizet, who was one of Dano's agents on later on in the year. And what he told me was, I, I, I believe it was him that told me, I, I, I believe it was, but it wasn't a six-year offer but it was a five-year offer so you know according to Dano's camp it was a five-year times five million dollars 
And in the end, he ended up getting six years times 5.5 by the Los Angeles. Whatever, whatever it was, Dano was asked about it directly and never denied the fact that he that he turned down a contract offer from the Canadians. And I look, I can't say for sure that Mark, whether it was Mark Bergevin or Paul Wilson or somebody high up in the Canadian staff who leaked this information at a time where Dano was struggling the most he ever has in his career. Yeah. But if you were Dano in that moment and that, you know, it, it turned him into the bad guy, you know, is his goalless drought yeah. went on for a number of days beyond that. And every time a game would go by without him scoring, people would say, do you believe this clown turned down this? You know, he turned him into the bad guy. And if you know Phil Dano, he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet. He's a wonderful good human being who cared so much about the Canadians and bled for the team. And it was, you know, it was business, but I thought it was bad business. It was yeah. bad business and they lost Philip Deneau right there. But no I'll tell you what they, didn't help No him. matter what they would have come to him with yeah. at that time, they had lost him with, with that whole situation. Yeah. So it was, it was, that was part of the, and you go through my record, Tony, like I have given Mark Bergevin a ton of credit Yes, for the things that he did um, as GM of the Canadians, I thought he made a lot of great moves. And the summer that he had, the the, the year that I think it was that they went to the Stanley Cup final, and yeah, Lou that Lamorello, off season, that off season Lou, was great. Lou Lamorello won the GM of the year, and like, there is no way that he should have won it over Mark Bergevin in my mind. Like, what Mark Bergevin did uh, was turn the Canadians into a team that if they made the playoffs, they would absolutely do, do damage. And anybody who understood it was saying it throughout the season. Yeah, I'm I sure. believe he acquired Joel Edmondson. So. I believe he acquired Jake Allen. I believe he acquired Tyler Toffoli. I be, Josh you know, Anderson. Josh, yeah, there's a lot of guys that he acquired. No, you're right about that. But you know he what? Had the biggest, he had the biggest impact on yeah. his team. Corey Perry. Eric, Eric Stahl. Stahl. He, he had the biggest impact on his team doing what it did. And that is voted on after the second round of the playoffs. And there was no question in my mind like that he got robbed that year he should have been gm of the year which would have made his story all that much more compelling because i think he was losing his job no matter what when he did a year ago today um but yeah i i look back at the patch ready trade i look at the deno trade those are huge things the, the the jeff petrie trade i understand the big question is what he left behind so you know deno and petrie are gone and now mike matheson is here yeah um, it's a different kind of outlook, but there was a lot of things that Mark Bergman did well. And that yeah. thing that happened with the no at that early juncture of the season, that was a, that was one of the worst things. I think that year they went to the cup final, by the way, John Merrill doesn't get talked about a lot, but I thought he was a pretty good depth yeah. acquisition at the time. A shout out to playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments and playground casino games, daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else located just over the Mercier bridge? Only minutes from downtown Montreal. It is playground. All right. Okay. Um, I think Eric what, Gustafson scored a key goal also. He did. In the, he did, he in did. the playoffs. So, what didn't help Dano at the time, too, is, is when Matthias Brunet comes out with that article in the press, you're reading that and you're saying Tyler Toffoli took a four-year deal below value at $4.25 million a year to play for the Canadians, and Dano's going to refuse six times five. And so, a lot, of, like you said, a lot of people turned on Dano because they're like, why would he, you know, Toffoli took less to come to Montreal, if Deneau's from here, from the province of Quebec, why wouldn't he take maybe a little bit less to stay here? Well, and, and we all know now, you know, in retrospect, and, and Phil explained himself quite well, um, 
he wasn't sure about how he was being viewed. Uh, all the talk was about his role being relegated with the rise of Jesperi Kakaniemi and Nick Suzuki in the bubble. Um, I think a lot of us knew that Phil was way too important to the team and that uh, clearly Mark Bergevin did. Otherwise, he never would have made the offer that he did to him you know, in September, uh, even before I think Brendan Gallagher got an offer to, to return to the Canadian. So, yeah, you know, they knew how important Phil Deneau was. The situation got out of hand. They were clearly insulted by the fact that he turned down that deal. Yeah. You talk about Tyler Toffoli, that's market dynamics within the summer when he was actually a free agent, whereas Phil, you know, still had a year left under contract and had every reason to kind of wait and see how he was going to be used by the coaching staff before deciding what he was going to do. Um, because I didn't, I don't think he was interested in getting into a long-term deal that would see him move down the lineup to a role that he had already worked his way up to and deserved and was coming into his prime. And look, it's funny how things work out because yeah. it was no fluke that he went to Los Angeles. Now I, I never, if you, if you would ask me if I thought Phil Deneau was capable of scoring 28 goals is that what he had last year it was an insane season it's I a career never year. i never with his shot would have suggested that that would be possible yeah i did think absolutely he would be a very valuable contributor to the los angeles well, he's, a, he's a good player it's it's funny eric because i remember that was saying, really something i remember saying if you're giving to foley four years at 4.25 you cannot give phil Deneau six years at 5.5 Anyway, uh, I Can like. Can we Phil come Deneau. back to Suzuki for a sec? Tony, yes, I, well, I will, on. but I just want to say Dano wasn't very happy. I said that, and he refused my request to come on the podcast as well. Ever since, uh, he hasn't been very happy with me. Go back to Suzuki. What are you gonna do? What are what you gonna, gonna do? do? You can't please everyone. I can't even please my wife. Imagine. What? <laughs> what? What year was Nick Suzuki drafted? Uh, Nick it Suzuki was down. drafted. What was it? Four years ago. Uh, he was drafted 2018 at 13th overall. Was that it? I'm going to look it up right now, by the way. It's not 2018. It's, uh, 2017, Earlier. 13th overall. So one year before 13 overall. Yeah. Yeah. 2017 NHL draft. 13th overall. Nico Hishier, Nolan Patrick, Miro Hishkanen, and Kale McCarr and Elias Pettersson were the top five. I'm asking because um, I was just looking at it, 13 Vegas. Like, how many of these players does he go ahead of now? Yeah, no, that's, uh, by the way, look, Cody Glass was their pick at number six overall. And, uh, okay, so how many players does he go ahead of this is being redone, it's Makar. It's Makar number one. Makar, Heeshear, Heiskanen, Pedersen. Suzuki? Like um, Suzuki, and then you've well, got lower he, down, you got Josh Norris, and I, I'm going to beg to higher differ. up. You've got Martin Nikash. Okay, like, I'm going to I'm going to beg to differ. You said Makar, Heeshear, Heiskinen, Pedersen. I think Pedersen is probably ahead of Heeshear and Heiskinen, but that's a very oh no, man. That's are you seeing very, what are you seeing what Heisher's on, doing right now? on fire this year. He's yeah, on no, fire. Heisher has come into his own. He's ready to go. Yeah, he sure's very on unfortunate what happened to Nolan Patrick, clearly. Yeah. I was um, just taking a look at points per game for what they've done up until now. Okay, because up until now, uh Elias Pedersen has almost a point per game. But Nico Heesher this year is another level good. He's yeah. another level good. He's more complete. Josh, Josh Norris and Nick Suzuki move way up that draft class. Yeah. So that is, you know, talk about what I thought about that deal the day it was made. 
Yeah. Was that I thought it was a great deal the day it was made and a deal that was only going to get better with every day that passed. And wow, couldn't have imagined it would be this good, but it's really it's it's a pretty incredible trade for Montreal. Yeah, there's uh there's another player that uh was uh, um where is he? I'm trying to find him. Robert well, Thomas you, is, Robert Thomas yeah. is a pretty good pick. I'd move and, him up yeah. and, and uh a 20. And uh oh J- Jason Robertson, Dallas 39. Oh, we'll move him up to number th- three, like <sighs> maybe number two, actually. Jason Robertson. Jason Robertson is keeping pace. He's keeping pace with Connor McDavid playing five minutes less a night. He's got 19 goals and 36 points in 23 games. Well, there you go. Uh, Six, five, three, five minutes less. left winger. Unbelievable. Five minutes less on average than, than can Connor we, McDavid. Can we bring back up the chart for a second if we can? So, look, the, the Suzuki trade is obviously a great trade. The, the Suzuki contract, eight years times 7.875, I believe it was, or something like that. Dom Lecician of The Athletic, uh, less than a year ago, called it uh, the ninth worst contract given in the National Hockey League. I think Dom wants a mulligan on that one. Maybe. I don't know why he did his work looking based on, you know, I I guess it's part of the deal. You you know, you look at last year and then make your projections. I think we could all see that there's been a steady rise for Nick Suzuki throughout his career, that he was going to get to another level of this year as a 23-year-old in the league. Uh, especially with the way he closed out the second half of last year. Um, I think, you know, Dom and several other of the analysts are looking at Suzuki's shooting percentage and saying, mm-hmm. uh, don't worry, we'll be right in the end. But I think we all know that with the cap going up and where Suzuki's contract got done, that's a great legacy move for Mark Bergevin. And I'm sure Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes are very thankful for what that deal looks like right yeah. now. I also think that, um, I also think that you look at, uh, you look at, Caden Gooley on that list with the young defenseman, he should probably be a point on his own because I remember the reaction of Canadians fans and talking about the limited potential offensive potential of Caden Gooley and saying, oh, I don't know if this is a good pick. And this kid, a 20-year-old, jumps into the NHL and has not only played the part of a number one defenseman, but like has looked completely in it, in his place in that role. Um, I'm not saying that he's already there, but it's it won't be long before he gets there and becomes a really good number one defenseman. And that, that is a hell of a pick that they hmm. made. Let's bring back up the chart. If we can, with the good moves, we'll, we'll go through it a lot quicker than we did, but we had some really good stories to share. <clears throat> and I think everyone uh, watching probably liked them comment sick and hit the like button. If you like what we had to say and are enjoying the podcast, uh, obviously drafting Cole Caulfield at 15th overall, a couple of years later, that's gone really well. That was the uh, easiest move they had to make. Yeah, drafting right in their laps. Drafting Gooley, Harris, Trouble, and through controversy, Logan Mayu. I think yeah. that's going to prove to be. We're going to uh, agree. We're going to agree that that wasn't a good move at the time, and hopefully, it, it, it to wasn't be a good move. Mayu becoming time. a much better person. I, 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 I think we can. I think we can say that based on the way he's played this year for London and the type of team they are with him, compared to the type of team that they are without him, that he's going to end up helping this blue line. We'll one see. day going forward. Um, we'll see. I hope he can help himself and become a much, you know, well, that, that goes he, without that he's made that he's made a lot of progress as a human being because yeah. that was a disastrous decision at the time. And yeah. we don't have enough evidence to, to speak to the, the, the idea that it's a good one as of today. But yeah, he yeah. looks like he's going to be a good hockey player, which is why they chose him and ignored all that stuff to begin with. And yeah, we'll, we'll see if it ends up being in the NHL. 
All right. Um, the uh, the duo, goaltending duo of Allen and Montembeau, which were both acquired by Marc Bergevin. Uh, Allen yes. was uh, a trade and then signed, and Montembeau was off waivers. Look, they're, they're not the two best goalies in the world. They're not the two worst. But for a team that's rebuilding, considering what you got them that under, you know, in, in terms of salary, it's 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 a it, they're decent goalies that he left the duo of Gordon and Hughes with, don't you think? It was work by default. If I was making this chart myself, I would have included that you know, like the guys that were traded last year by Gordon and Hughes, yeah, are still legacy moves from Mark Bergman, right? Like they were able to get a great haul for Ben Chirot for You're right. Uh, another one for Tyler Toffoli and especially one for Arturi Lekkinen. I think it's stretching it, putting the goaltending duo of Allen. No, but I Allen was a great move. Yeah, but Montombo was picked up because they like it. They, you know, they yeah they have to get a goalie in. Like, it's, and it's, 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 it's looking it's, good now today. It's funny. It's funny you say that because when I spoke with Matthew earlier today at Tivia, I said Matthew, I want you to do three charts, right? Good moves, bad moves, and the moves. You know, let's also do a chart for the players he traded away last year because. Uh, they draft Arturi Lekkinen. They're able to get, you know, Justin Barron and a pick for Arturi Lekkinen. They trade for Brett Kulak, and they're able to get an asset for Brett Kulak. They sign Tyler Toffoli, and they're able to get a first for Toffoli. And they sign uh, uh, and, and, a, and a prospect. I think it was Heinemann that they got for Toffoli. Correct me if I'm wrong. And they sign, and they sign Ben Sherratt, three years, $10.5 million. And then uh, they end up extending him, I think, but they end up getting a first. And was it Ty Smolanik they got for Sherrod, I believe? So I said, make a chart with those guys on it. And you're right on that. So good good on you, Eric. How about some bad moves? Let's let's bring some of them up in the chart. Uh, the signing of Carl Osner uh, since bought out, um, acquiring Mike Hoffman or signing Mike Hoffman. Uh, the contract to Brendan Gallagher. Uh, which, you know, from a cap perspective, it, it's hurt, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the trade to acquire and the contract given to Jonathan Drouin right on the spot, six years, $33 million. The drafting of Jesperi, Kock, and Yemi. I mean, if you end up drafting another player, maybe that player is still here, maybe not. And uh, the contracts, you know, that, that came with Shea Weber and Carey Price that he gave to them, mind you, they're on long-term injury reserve, and they don't have to really deal with that. So your thoughts on what's My up on thought, the screen? Here. You take the first one off this list, I would defend okay. every move that was made here. Okay. I know it's crazy to, to hear, but it's it's. I would actually defend every move that it was made because it's very easy to look back in hindsight and talk about it this You're way. Right. But, like, let's take the Druin trade, for example. Mm-hmm. The Canadians, like everyone forgets the context of that. Like the Canadians were losing Radulov. No, no. Okay. Before that happened, the Canadians still had Radulov in the fold when they made that trade. Let's not talk about them losing him because they were playing, they were, they were negotiating with Radulov. It was a hard negotiation, but they were negotiating uh-huh. with him. But beyond that, they came out of a series where they were the fourth best. They came out of a season where they were the fourth best defensive team in the league. They had Carey Price in nets. They scored 11 goals in six games, and Price put up a 937 save percentage or whatever it was. And the only guy who produced was Radulov. Yeah. Uh, the, other guy, the other guy who was dynamic but didn't produce was Lekkonen. Uh, they desperately needed some offensive punch. 
Andre Markov and Alex Radulov were still in the fold when they traded for Jonathan Drouin. They did not want to give up Mikhail Sergachev. They knew that Mikhail Sergachev was going to be a really good player, but they desperately needed a dynamic offensive producer. And when Drouin was traded for in Montreal, he'd come off a 14-point in 17 playoff game performance, was peaking on his way upwards, 54 points with Tampa in that regular season, too. You know, he we all saw what he was in junior. He was chosen third overall for a reason. Um, you know, if there was a mistake that was made with Drouet, and even in hindsight, it's the only way you can argue, because at the time I thought it was a good move, too, was putting him at center right away. Um, I felt Drouet had the ability as a centerman to make players I, around him better. It was a really difficult position that he was put in um, yeah. you know came to Montreal I remember him doing interviews out on the streets with fans and someone saying you know not even recognizing they were talking to Jonathan Drouet and I, yeah. they, them saying he's going to score 50 goals this year it was a tough spot it's a horrible trade in hindsight yeah but the day it was made yeah the Canadians were adding Jonathan Drouet to a team that had Alex Radulov and needed another wow. player that could make and, and well, around him better and Jonathan Drouet was trending that way I know yeah. how it ended up I know they were in a tough negotiation I know it looked like Radulov might be on his way out the door yeah but things get tough in negotiations until you get to the final hour and they were talking up until the final hour and I reviewed all this with Mark Bergevin in a one-on-one interview and we talked very openly and honestly about those situations with Markov. He played hardball with Markov um, and beat him down when he had conceded that he would be willing to take just one year. And he said, well, yeah, and then it's going to be this. Like, all he wanted was – it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Uh, He didn't want to admit it was a mistake. He said – I think his response to me verbatim was he should have had had an agent, and he's right about that. But, look, you know, when they traded for Jonathan Drew, I I remember going on the air, Tim and Sid – and saying this is a good trade. Like it's they're giving up a really good player, the guy that they know is going to become a top four defenseman in this league and potentially even a top two defenseman. They desperately needed offense. And Jonathan Drouin looked like and a player. And they desperately who needed a Francophone star. It. And there were some empty seats. That was seats. another factor for sure. There were some loges that were up for renewal and they wanted to make sure that everyone was going to re-up on their loges five years or seven years or whatever it was. And if you had a Francophone star, and I have to tell you, that playoff year drawing was absolutely unbelievable for Tampa. The way you said 14 points in 17 games. I thought he was electric on the power play, especially that season. I said, this guy's one of the best power play players in the entire National Hockey League. And I he was, was all he for- with heart. He got smoked by Thomas Hick. He got hit. He took one of the hardest hits I've yeah. ever seen in a playoff game. Looked like a concussion. Broke his nose. Was yeah. Bleeding on the bench and never left the game. Okay. So, like, I'm just saying. It's so easy to look at hindsight and, oh, the fans, how could you do this and that? I don't remember any one of our colleagues writing the day that trade was made that it was a bad move. Like, I don't remember anybody, the guys who I respect the most, saying this yeah. is the wrong thing. Everyone acknowledged what they were giving up. But, Eric, it if was, I can. And, and earlier in the season, Tony, I want to tell you, they had a chance to make that trade and didn't want to trade Mikhail Sergachev. But when you go through a playoff run like yeah. they did, where the only thing between them and going deep into the playoffs, the way they were built, was scoring goals. They had to do something, and they did. But I will say this, though, Eric. Um, you know, there were a lot of people 
that did not want to give Brendan Gallagher a contract extension of that amount. And there were a lot of people that when they saw the amount, everyone loves Gallagher, Eric, and I know you do. And I know you wrote a real nice article about what he did in the off season and that he was going to be re-energized and he was going to be fresh. He was finally going to be injury free. And he bench presses like 8,000 pounds. Do you remember? Everyone loves him, but a lot of people didn't like the contract when it was announced. Because there was emotion involved in it, and it was an emotional decision. And I understand you pay for future potential versus what somebody has already done for you. You want to be able to pay much more for that than, you know. Well, the people that didn't like with, it. Especially with players going into Brendan's age group. Correct. But I just want to go back. Please. I want to go back. Go back. Because... Brendan signed his deal after the bubble. And what happened in the bubble? The guy tore his hip, Mm -hmm. kept playing. Mm -hmm. The guy breaks his jaw. Mm -hmm. And if he could have, if there weren't these quarantine issues and all that, Mm -hmm. he would have kept playing. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted to play that next game that they end up getting eliminated or whatever it is by Mm -hmm. Philadelphia. And that those were two examples of how Brandon Gallagher was a complete warrior. And yes, when it got, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the press conference, the Zoom conference that we did with Mark Bergevin when he got emotional on the day that Brandon Gallagher was signed and why he got emotional? Because uh, I asked him a question. I, I don't. I, so you know. I asked him a question. So I don't, I, 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 I almost, I, I think he almost said something like he's like a son or whatever, or this or that, but no, I asked ahead. him a question. Tell I me. said, Mark, did the optics that you didn't want Brendan to return and that getting out to be something public that you guys didn't want, like did, did the optics, because we all know that you wanted Brendan Gallagher and mm-hmm. wanted to mm-hmm. him, but did the optics being out there make him possibly make him feel that you didn't want him anymore accelerate the process of getting him signed mm-hmm. i hear you i understand and your question he, he could he could barely talk yeah and said he means a lot to me you know like he he started crying saying yeah, he means he's, he's, he means a lot to me he's very attached the, the very attached quote. to brendan gallagher but eric Mark, if i can Mark Mark cared about his players a lot, yes. especially guys like Gallagher. When Gallagher, he loved you, he loved you. Gallagher did not. He Mark Bergevin signed that deal knowing it was not going to be a good value deal, but it meant more to him to make Gallagher feel that he is absolutely appreciated for what he's done for the team. And he, you know, it's hard to argue against Gallagher no, it, it, earning what he got it's very easy to argue against the value of the contract being good. Eric, that's that's all fine and dandy, and it's very honorable, but today that contract is handcuffing the Canadians. No, I get it. I, I, I get it, Tony. I'm just saying. I'm talking it's, about it's the very people. very easy to argue against the well, value of the contract. It's have, very hard to argue against him earning it the way well, he played. No, no one's arguing that he didn't earn it because he was underpaid for many, many years before that at $3.75 million. So you know what? You average it out. He deserves all the money you're going to give him. Having said that, we're in a business. We're in a salary cap. And a lot of people were worried that the way Brendan played, that he was going to break down and he wasn't going to be able to replicate those numbers. And uh, you know what? Uh, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to. Here's hoping that he will. 
I believe he's got three goals up until this point. But look, everyone's pulling for Brendan Gallagher. Let's go back to the chart very quickly. Let's bring it back up. And so we'll wrap it up with Eric. My God, you've you've been on with us for like over 50 minutes. It's unbelievable. I can't believe this. I really appreciate it. Um, the drafting of Cock and Yemi over guys. Look, draft, oh, I'll you, defend you, it. You win I'll some, you lose it. some. Okay, defend it. I'll defend it. I'll continue to defend it. I defended <laughs> it all the way through, and I'm going to continue to defend it. Defend it. What was Brady Kachuk's uh, record coming into the NHL when he was drafted fourth overall? How many points did he put up at Boston? The, the not a lot, like not a lot. He was, he, was, he, was, he was not a point producer at the in, in, in you know. In Last time the Canadians were third overall was in two thousand. Whenever they drafted Galchenyuk, two thousand twelve. Two thousand and twelve. Yeah, the draft took place in was it in Pittsburgh? In Pittsburgh? They get yeah. screwed. You know, the kid misses a year of hockey, comes into it. Neil Yakupov goes the the consensus next best player available to the Canadians is Alex Galchenyuk. And anyways, I don't want to go back through Galchenyuk, but before that, it had been forever since the Canadians had a top three pick. It had been decades before they had a top center in their lineup. And here comes this kid moving up the draft board uh, by consensus. Like look all around the league. There was a lot of people talking about how he might be the best centerman in the draft. If you are Montreal, mm-hmm. after 25 years of not having a big, talented, versatile center in your lineup, yeah, do you pass on the opportunity to draft one when your GM for eight years yeah. has been saying verbatim nonstop, you can't trade for them, you can't sign them, you have to draft them. I mean, they tried to move down in the draft. Arizona was behind them and were taking a center. They ended up with Barrett Hayden. So there was yeah. no move. If they, if Arizona moves up, they take Kakaniemi instead. Uh, there just wasn't, you know, they knew that they were reaching a little, picking him a little higher yeah. than he likely would have gone. So I'm happy to it's say. A tough, it's a tough position to be in. If I were them, I, I honestly think if they had passed on Yasperi Kakaniemi and Yasperi Kakaniemi goes somewhere else at sixth or seventh overall and he spends a year more in Europe and comes over and plays one year in the AHL, he probably becomes the player we all thought he should have been in Montreal. He came into Montreal. His development was mishandled. That's very clear. And that's yes. him down the road where he is in Carolina. Correct. But in the moment, yes. at the time, like Brady Kachuk, Versus the Kakaniemi thing, it's to me, it's bullshit. The whole argument, like it's well. This, hold on a second. Like, hold on a second here. Okay, you're going to okay. tell me Brady Kachuk could have been a center too, or something? No, 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 no. I'm not going to tell you that. This is this is what I will tell you. I'm not a Quinn, draft. Quinn Hughes would have been pretty good. I'm not a draft expert. I don't want to speak for you, but I will. I, I think it's safe. Like you're not. I mean, I'm not I mean there's, there's there's a lot of people in the media that pretend that they're draft experts. I'm not either. Draft comes around. They pretend like they've watched all these guys. The fact of the matter is, is that we're watching NHL games. We're not really watching that many junior hockey games. All right, okay. Unless you own an independent scouting service. All right. But you know, a lot of people talk to a couple of scouts and they pretend like they actually know everything on all these players. I don't. Okay, I don't. I, like everyone else, placed a few calls, talked to a couple of people that I trust, yada, yada, yada. This is what I know. I'm you know, The day before the draft, I said on the air, it's documented, that I would draft Brady Kachuk with the third pick, okay? And the reason why I said that I would draft Brady Kachuk with the third pick was, if you recall, yes, Jesperi Kakanyemi started to make a lot of noise that draft week 
But up until the last report before that, I think he was 17 or 18 on a lot of people's lists. And Brady Kachuk was always everywhere between like four and eight on like everyone's list. That's number one. Number two, it was actually 31 points in 40 games that he had at Boston College. It was only eight goals, but it was 31 points in 40 games. Okay, He was coming off a real good season. We heard that his character was through the roof. We know that he had an older brother who, you know, was well on his way. We knew we know the pedigree. We, we knew, knew he was going to be a good player. So, that so, was never a debate. And every time the Canadians end up drafting by position instead of drafting by best player available, there's, you know, you could get it wrong. And now you can get it wrong if you go the other way around, too. I understand that, too. But I just thought... The question is... I just Brady thought could- that Kachuk was... Based on what I heard and on reports, if you average everything out, I just thought he was the safest pick to be an impact okay, NHL. Fine. Yeah. Take you at your word. No problem. I'm sure you said it on the air. I did the bottom line that. is the argument at the time was not Kachuk versus Kakaniemi. The argument was who is, going, who is going to be. Yeah, it was Zadina. Yeah. And who is going to be the consensus best centerman in this draft? And that was Jesperi Kakaniemi, and that's why they picked yeah. him. And and if they didn't that day, I can promise you one thing. I don't there might have been some you might have raised your hand and said, I love Brady Kachuk, and I'm happy the Canadians took him. You might have said, I would have taken Brady Kachuk over Philip Sedina. You might have said I would have taken Quinn Hughes over all of them. But I know one thing is a hundred percent certain, and we'll never know for sure, but I know it. If they don't take the number one consensus center in that draft at the time, in the moment, at third overall, I'm sure that everybody would have flipped out about it. After 25 years of not having somebody, after the GM talking ad nauseum about the fact that you cannot trade for these guys and you cannot sign them and you have to draft them, Mm -hmm. and they tried to trade down in the draft to do it at a position that made more sense Anyways, like I said, the development it, was an You issue. know what? It's really funny because in the end, they ended up getting their guy when they traded for Nick Suzuki because look at him. He's become a number one centerman. Eric, in ending, and man, this has been a lot of fun, and I know appreciated by everyone watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Like, I always like talking to you, but I think this is one of the most enjoyable conversations we've had. I hope you liked it as much as I did. Um, do you think Mark Bergevin left the Canadians in good hands, yes or no, to the duo of Gordon Hughes? Do I think he left them in good hands? I mean, yeah. If you take a look at the players he acquired, minus some of the bad contracts he may have given out, I think you defended a lot of points. So I think the answer to that would be yes. eh? I'm looking for the bad move these guys have made. Honestly, no, not the bad. Not no. no, I'm I'm looking. That's my point. I'm looking for one bad move these guys have made since they've been in charge. I mean, progressive is the word I would use for where they've gone. Um, the hires they've made have been progressive. Uh, the emphasis on development, progressive. The philosophy, progressive. The hire of Martin St. Louis, progressive. But if I can, Eric, I'm not talking about them. I'm, I'm talking about did Bergevin leave them in a good spot? Yes, they've done no. great work in the last year. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. He went for broke trying to get the Canadians a Stanley Cup. He went for broke, and he did a lot of damage with some of those decisions because in the end they didn't win the Cup. They only got to the final. And that's the risk you take in going all in. Like he, he did. went all in. At he least went he all pushed in. his chips into the middle, man. Yeah. And you know there was this residual damage that came with that. 
if people want to relitigate the Carey Price contract and why it was signed at the time, I mean, honestly, I would not have wanted to be the GM that traded to Carey Price or let him walk for nothing uh, coming off you know, what he did and what he was worth for individual awards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I think that deal was, it's not even, it's a no brainer. Like there's no GM GM in the world that lets go of the best goaltender in the world. No, but at the time, it's a lot of money, 10 and a half million dollars to a guy who's not going to play more than 57 games a year is a lot of money. That's not the point. The point is if he hits the open market, he's signing for that or more. Like that's the bottom line. It's, it's, it's a moot point because yeah. if he hits the open market, that's what he's worth. He got signed for what he was worth, and he could have probably gotten more if there was a bidding war for his services. So in, in the end, did he leave the Canadians in better hands? No. But his exit did pave the way for a couple of guys that have done really good work. And you know what I'm saying is I'm looking for the bad move. And like the one with the most risk associated to it mm-hmm. was Kirby Doc. And, you know, yeah. judging by how that's going so far. It's a it's a harbinger of probably some really good things to come. It's the Canadians and the San Jose Sharks tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Eric, you and I will talk again in about a week from today. Cool. It sounds good. I don't even know where I think I'll be in Vancouver. Um, okay, so let me take a look at the Canadian schedule I'm right sure now. The Canadians uh, host yeah. San Jose tomorrow. They will be in Calgary on Thursday. They'll be in Edmonton. On Saturday, you're right. On uh, Monday night, they're going to be in Vancouver. So you and I, chances are we we will not talk on Monday night. But you know what? They're going to be in Seattle on Tuesday. They're off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And maybe we can fit you in somewhere there, Eric. If not, one one of those days. Yeah, one of those days we'll fit you in. Thanks so much, Eric. Have a good one, buddy. All right, take care. All right, there you have it. Eric Engels of Sportsnet. Speaking of which, by the way, the Canadians are in Calgary on Thursday night, okay? The game starts at 9 o'clock. I want to ask you, my sick army right now that are watching in big, big numbers, and thank you. Um, if the Canadians play that game in Calgary, on thir- or when they play that game in Calgary on Thursday, not if they're going to play it, the game's probably going to be over at around 11.30. I have a question for Eastern time. I have a question for you. Do you want me to go on at 11.30 Eastern and bring you a sick podcast, or... <clears throat> Do you want me to go on at the regular 10 p.m.? And at that point, they're going to start the second period. And we'll start the second period together. We'll watch the game together. You'll have an eye on the screen and an eye on me. And we'll be talking about it. And I'll give you live reactions while the game is going on. I've never done this before. Never. Do you want me to do that? Do you, do you want to watch the second period together? And who knows, maybe even end up watching the third period together. Maybe yes, maybe no. Or do you want me to go on at around 11.30 p.m. or whatever it is? Hey, eh? Oh, someone says, why don't you go on at 10 a.m. the next morning? Should we do that? Should we go on at 10 a.m. the next morning? Uh, it's, you know, uh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I'm just, uh, not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. Um, <laughs> you know, when we, um, when we were thinking of going live, 
one of the thir- first things that we wanted to do, one of the first things we discussed was actually going at 10 a.m. live. And then we thought about it and uh, we, we thought about a few different scenarios and we decided that, you know, a lot of people used to say, is it 10 a.m. yet? Is it 10 a.m. yet? Because they had to wait after the game for my reaction, for my reaction. We thought, what would be the best, the next best thing or what would be better than actual, what would be better than actually doing it at 10 a.m.? And we figured it would be 10 p.m. So we decided on the 10 p.m. slot and we hope you're enjoying the 10 p.m. slot. But um you know what? You know what? I I I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss it with Agnello and Sammy, but uh, maybe Agnello we can uh, we can uh, put it up on Twitter or something like that. We could probably put it up on Twitter, and uh, and we can say, hey, uh, what do we do? Do we uh, do we uh, do we go on at um, 10 p.m. Watch the second period together? Do we go on at 11:30 p.m. Or do we go on at 10 a.m. the next day? And maybe, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a poll, quite, whatever. We'll, we, if we get more votes, we'll go with that. But it looks like most of you here have said 10 p.m. And let's watch it together. I discussed this with Daniello and Sammy earlier today at lunch. I said, guys, you want to do something different? Why don't we do this? And we said, you know what? We'll throw it out there tonight. And that's exactly what we did. We're going to talk soccer. I would have loved to talk about the Canadian men's national team with John Limniatis. But it's going to have to be for another night. Uh, I know there's a pretty good chance that John's going to join us this week, as will Sandro Grande, both professional, former professional players, both represented the Canadians men's national team. Unfortunately for Canada, they ran into a tremendous midfield by the name of Modric um, and by the name of Brozovic and by the name of Kovacic. And they had a real hard time with it. And, um, you know, they scored early, about 67 seconds into the game. Alfonso Davies scores Canada's first goal ever at the World Cup in terms of men's soccer. But once Croatia started going, just Canada just couldn't seem to keep up. And uh, we have a ways to go. Uh, It was a learning moment yesterday in the World Cup. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Why don't we uh, talk about Go for Gold now? Let's do that. Go for Gold. Go for Gold. A daily World Cup report. Alfonso Davies keeps it himself. Presented by Bijou Tree Bossy. Go for Gold is brought to you by Bijouterie Bassi. Bijouterie Bassi has provided professional service and fine jewelry for over 30 years. Visit the store at 9640 Boulevard Saint-Michel in Montreal. Call them at 514-387-9528. I believe uh, Agnello and I are planning on going by to say hello if all goes well on Thursday. So Thursday, if you're going to be in the area on Thursday morning and uh, you see uh, two people, and uh, one of them is good-looking. Well, it will be me and then yellow, and I'll be the good-looking one. Ah, uh, once upon a time. Not anymore. All right, okay. All kidding aside, let's get down to business now, and let's talk to you about the day that was at the World Cup 2022. Uh, first game this morning, Cameroon and Serbia. This was absolutely unbelievable because Serbia got out to a 3-1 lead, and Cameroon scored like two goals, like three minutes apart to tie it at three. What an offensive festival that was. It was pretty amazing. Also, South Korea versus Ghana. This was awesome because Ghana took a 2-0 lead. South Korea came back to tie the game at 2, but then Ghana got a late winner. They win by a score of 3-2. Brazil versus Switzerland. Vinicius Jr. scores what he thought would have been a goal at the uh, 64-minute mark, but they go to VAR, and it's offside, so that goal is called back. And then 19 minutes later at the 83-minute mark, it's Casemiro with a strike. Brazil win by a score 
of one to nothing, and they have advanced to the next round. Good for them. Portugal versus Uruguay. They get two goals by Bruno Fernandes, one off a curler and the other one off a penalty kick, and Portugal, too, advances. As far as games tomorrow, tomorrow, well, there's four games. There's going to be two games at 10 a.m. and two games at 2 p.m., so no more games at 5 o'clock in the morning. Here we go at 10 a.m., Ecuador versus Senegal and Netherlands versus Qatar at 2 p.m., It's um, Iran versus USA and Wales versus England. And we'll have our eyes on that. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. I know one thing, I really enjoyed bringing it to you. The Sick Podcast is brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, also by 8.6 Beer and also by Lacage. Hit the like button, share it, tell your friends about it, talk to your friends about it. The more, the bigger the sick army is, the better it is. We really appreciate it. If you go on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. We appreciate it. We really love you. We hope you you love us as well. I'm Marinero. Have a great night, everyone. It's the Canadians versus the Sharks tomorrow night. It's a 7 o'clock start, and I'll bring you the sick podcast. Same time, same place, 10 p.m. Eastern. and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with tony marinero on youtube instagram facebook google play and apple podcasts the sick podcast is brought to you by energy transportation group driven to be different 8.6 intense by nature and La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you. 